As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Adam Crafton and David Ornstein are with us. And coming up today, we'll discuss the dismissals of two managers in the Premier League this weekend, with both Norwich and Aston Villa deciding to make changes. Uh, we also need a positive story, so we'll talk West Ham and David Moyes, who last week coached his 1,000th game and on Sunday saw his side beat Liverpool to go third in the Premier League. Let's start with Aston Villa then, who this weekend have sacked their head coach Dean Smith after over three years in charge. They'd lost five games on the bounce. Greg Evans is the Aston Villa writer for The Athletic. He joins us all now. Was this a shock, Greg? Um, I don't think you can ever call it a shock in football these days, can you? It, it just seems that once a team loses a couple of games, three or four games, there, there always seems to be a crisis building. The fact it was five games for Villa didn't surprise me what happened next. I, I suppose the biggest shock was just Villa's form in general, how it turned from, I think last time I was on, Aston Villa had just won at Man, Man United. So in the last four or five weeks, things have changed rapidly and that's what cost Dean Smith his job, unfortunately. I thought that the wording of the statement was very interesting because... It, it referred to this year, not this season, this year. And if you look at the stats, I think they've lost 18 this year. And that's the joint most in the Premier League. So to give the Villa board their due and their owners their due before we get on to Dean Smith, it feels like they're looking at more than just this immediate run of five defeats. Yeah, it certainly does, doesn't it? That run of 18 defeats... I feel it's a little bit harsh in some respects because Villa had a couple of games, I think they had three games in hand at one point over a couple of other teams. So the figures are a little bit skewed, but look, it's it's hard to dress up 18 defeats in any nice way, isn't it? Villa are on a very bad run of four in 2021. The the owners felt like the team was declining at a time where they needed to show that they were progressing. So they've looked at the bigger picture and thought that despite everything that Dean Smith had done in the previous years, the fact that he had achieved his brief of getting the club promoted in the first season, of keeping the club in the in the Premier Division in the second season, they felt that after that third season, they weren't just quite heading in the right direction. We'll come on to Norwich a little later on the pod, but with both of the sackings, 
there appears a real sense of sadness, actually, for the Farker for, for very differing reasons, probably to Dean Smith, although a similarity in that, you know, gets them promoted and, and starts to rebuild them. The, the other real sadness, I guess, from, from Villa fans is that he is one of their own. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's almost a fairy tale, isn't it? You just do not see it very often. You don't see supporters, you know, genuine supporters of a, club, of a football club becoming the manager. I mean, Chris Wilder was perhaps a, an exception at Sheffield United previously. It was just a lovely story. And, you know, so many Villa fans wanted him to do well. The supporters were split at the end. You know, the, uh, there were a lot of people calling for his head and thinking that Dean Smith had took Villa as far as he could. But there was genuine sadness when he went. I mean, if you if you look through social media yesterday, there were so many Villa fans thanking Dean Smith for what he did, thanking them for giving them their Villa back. You know, that was a song they used to sing. Grealish's post as a Villa fan was really emotional. Exactly. And look, you know, that's minutes after his sacking. And Grealish described him as, as the greatest of all time, you know, that, and, and that might sound a little bit far-fetched, but it also goes some way to show in the popularity of the man. Yeah, a week after sort of Nuno at Tottenham was unceremoniously... Binned. I can't remember seeing any players taking to social media to thank him for his time and and the sort of outpouring from Villa players. And it was a really nice reminder that situations don't always go right in football, but we can part ways professionally and amicably, genuinely amicably. Of course, there'll be frustrations and mitigating circumstances. And I think Dean Smith will be able to point to the fact that he didn't have all of his new signings available on the on the pitch at the same time very often. You know, the the sale of Jack Grealish and and the you could say over-dependence on him stretches back really to to when he got that shin injury, doesn't it, Greg? It, it it's it's not all gone in Dean Smith's favor in recent times, but the fact that it didn't get sort of really acrimonious among the fan base. I, I know you've written about and attention starting to build around the Arsenal game and the Wolves match and West Ham. But it, it wasn't sort of, didn't get personal and, and bitter. And also, I didn't see or feel from my journalism anyway, um, players briefing against Dean Smith. And that's one of the first things that happens when um, a squad wants a manager to be unceremoniously bundled out of a club. So um, I think Dean Smith leaves with a great amount of credit. Somebody in the game said to me yesterday, it's the best vacancy out there by an absolute mile, not in the relegation zone, good squad of players, good infrastructure, um, strong, ambitious hierarchy with money to spend. Whoever gets that Villa job, I think uh, is set up to succeed. Um, And you can't really say the same about all vacancies that come up these days. Indeed. I mean, you know, that's, that's a lovely summary, really, David. It feels like you've been covering Villa for longer than me almost with that summary. <laughs> I'm not cynical enough yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> this position is going to appeal to so many people. Um, I think the both of us have, have spoken to people in the industry who, who have both told us that many applications have already been submitted. Um, there'll, be lots of, there'll be lots of managers who look at this um, and think, yeah, you know that, that appeals to me. I, I can take this club forward. You know, I, I believe I can. I can be the man to take Villa back into the top half and, and potentially pushing for the European spots. There aren't many jobs out there in the Premier League that are better than than, than this job at the moment. I mean, there's probably only maybe four or five that that head coaches would look at and think, well, I'd prefer to do that. And the majority of those are, are unobtainable. So. 
what I would say, it's a massive decision for for the owners now, the Villa owners. They they have to get this right because the club were not going down with Dean Smith. They might have been stuck in somewhere between ninth and sixteenth and not quite been able to to progress. But if Villa get this managerial appointment wrong, they could get dragged into a relegation battle. On the flip side, if they do get it right, there's the potential to go higher. The phrase maybe he's taken them as far as he could is often thrown about and will be thrown about with Daniel Farker as well when we come on to Norwich later. But why? From someone who, who watches Villa week in, week out, who knows Dean Smith, who's seen that coaching setup, John Terry isn't there anymore, of course. What in Dean Smith's makeup, would you say, is preventing him from taking them further in the same way that David Moyes, who we'll talk about later, has taken West Ham further? It's a really difficult one because this season, as, as David already alluded to, Dean Smith has been dealt a really tough hand. He's had lots of injuries to deal with. He's lost his captain um, at the start of the summer. So you very rarely see teams lose their best player and get better. So for me, I thought it was very unfortunate for Dean Smith. I thought because of the runner defeats, I also understand from the owner's point of view that they need to stop the decline. But I'm I'm convinced if Dean Smith had stayed around, then he could have taken Villa on. It's just an opinion from the supporters that they thought that he'd reached the ceiling. But... I don't believe he has. I believe he will go somewhere else and he he will be back. We know he'll be back and he'll succeed somewhere and he'll show what a good manager he is. I think when you've got owners as fiercely ambitious uh, as Villas are and you have stabilised in the Premier League, he, he... it was remarkable. He kept them up on the final day. Uh, He brought them up, kept them up on the final day away to West Ham and then lifted them to 11th last season. They would be looking for that incline to to continue and therefore when you make small mistakes or perceived mistakes or make decisions that don't go right you're always going to have scrutiny from above and especially when you then lose five matches in a row uh, leading into an international break which meant that Dean Smith knew his head was on the block and I, I don't think it came as a massive surprise when he was sacked and when I mean those small decisions Greg has written that for six and a half games he switched to three at the back from a, a back four that was one of the most successful defences in the Premier League last season. I think only Manchester City and Chelsea kept more clean sheets. Fast forward to this season and only two teams down at the bottom of the league have conceded more goals than Villa. Tyrone Mings has had a season that is way below his standard. He He's still in the England squad, but he got dropped by Villa and Dean Smith, the manager he's close to. They share representatives. I mean, that's a really tough decision that Dean Smith made. And although Mings was upset, clearly, you know, he didn't take it out personally on Smith. There were other other frustrations and, and cracks appearing, the likes of Morgan Sanson throwing a bit of a strop and some issues that when they emerge to people at the top of an organisation that are seeing, like you say, Mark, the likes of West Ham and Moyes uh, flying above them, then you're on borrowed time, I think. When we talked about how attractive this job was, Adam, you had a you had a wry smile. Now, I don't know whether that's because you're thinking of, a, of whether there'll be a Manchester United job vacancy or not, or whether, or whether you are of the belief that this is a very, very attractive job out there. No, I think it is. I think Villa have been really smart in that, you know, they've not waited for a situation to become desperate. They've not waited until, 
you know, you're getting towards the Christmas period um, without a bit of time to work with players. I think it's fair to say Villa have probably had concerns that precede, you know, for the last five games. I mean, if even if you go back to that first season when Villa were back in the Premier League and you remember that game against Sheffield United, what was it, the first one after lockdown when they were a goal line decision away from really going the other way Um, and Dean Smith was under huge pressure before lockdown had a good year last year but as we've seen with you know clubs like Everton and Wolves it's so hard to go from being 10th or 9th to 6th or 5th even when you spend really substantial money And, and Villa have sort of done that at the same time as you know, losing a really important player as well. It's quite interesting, Brighton obviously lost Ben White, one of their best players, and they seem to have come out of it okay. But I think it's probably harder when you lose one of your key creative players to rebuild rather than a defender, particularly when it's in a sort of a back five system as well. So I think Villa have probably made the right decision for them, but it's only the right decision if they get the next appointment right. Who will be, Greg? Dot, dot, dot. Villa insist that they're, that they're running through a, an interview process, so they've got multiple candidates on their list. You know, we're hearing that, that Steven Gerrard, obviously the Rangers boss, is, is, a, is a leading or a strong contender at this point. He obviously appeals to Villa for, for a you know, number of reasons. When you hear that Gerrard is a leading candidate, is that coming from the club side of things rather than the Gerrard side of things? Because in this situation, we obviously know people put their candidates forward. So it comes from the club side when you say that. It's a combination of people who we speak right. to in the industry. Um, you know, St- Stephen Gerrard obviously appeals to you know a lot of club owners at the moment because of the, the job that he's doing. And you, you always wondered just how long would it take before he left Rangers to join a, a back, back in the English Premier League. You know, that's where he wants to be ultimately, I think. Whether he would want to leave Rangers, you know, in the middle of the season and, and ruin or, or spoil or tarnish, you know, his reputation of, of what he's done up there we, we will have to wait and see if, if Villa do go in strong for him if they pick the, him as the man then you know it, I think it'd be a decent move because and it would certainly be good for him because as I said earlier there aren't many better jobs out there in the Premier League and as I said you know the, the, there's maybe three or four better ones in, in the Premier League but really can Steven Gerrard get those jobs the only one potentially is Liverpool in the future if once Jurgen Klopp's had enough and and, and and Liverpool would need to have seen something in Steven Gerrard in the Premier League previously for them to appoint him there so it might be a stepping stone but that would be good for Villa because that means that he would have done something good for them and taken them on Greg what about John Terry um, obviously left in the summer set up a Twitter account on Sunday seemed a bit coincidental I think there was two, wasn't there? There was a, there was a uh, <laughs> there was two accounts. Uh, one was trying to get the most followers, but yeah, one one of them out there is official. Um, look, I, I think John Terry would be somebody who the owners certainly think very highly of, but I don't see them them pushing for him. You know, at this point in time, that they they want somebody with a little bit more experience. Yeah, the Villa hierarchy gave. Terry, an opportunity. I think Christian Persler, the chief executive, knew him from Chelsea, uh, came in, um, allowed him to coach and develop under Dean Smith and was of the view when it was announced he would be going that he should go out and get his first managerial job, cut his teeth elsewhere. So I think it's inconceivable that they would turn to Terry for this uh, job. I think we can rule that out. But on Mark's point about Steven Gerrard, f- from my perspective, um, it's coming more from the club 
and factual side than any kind of Gerard trying to put himself forward. I haven't sensed that at all. I think another link that Perslow has from his career, he used to work at Liverpool when Gerard was the captain there. So they know each other well. I think they're pretty fond and I'm sure some contact of sorts has already been established. Gary McAllister, an assistant of Steven Gerrard, was an assistant under Gerard Houllier at Aston Villa previously. I understand that the doctor at Rangers possibly also uh, worked at Aston Villa. So there are some links there and there will be other names in the frame because they're going to run a recruitment process. Uh, I don't think they were all in on sacking Dean Smith Friday daytime going into the match. I think there was still hope that he would get a win at Southampton. But after that, I think it became pretty clear over the weekend, which means I don't think they approached or held talks with candidates behind Dean Smith's back um, out of respect as much as as him possibly continuing. And now that will gather pace and be keen to know Adam's thoughts on Roberto Martinez. There are reports linking him once again. Kasper Hjulmund, the Denmark coach as well, is admired at Villa, we think. Um, obviously, uh, Johan Langer, the sporting director, very highly regarded, doing a good job at Villa Park, has expectation on him now because as Greg says, this needs to be a big appointment. He's Danish, he'll know Hjulmund, if that's pronounced correctly, uh, from Denmark. Thomas Frank is also one I think they'll be looking at and another day in there. So some pretty good options. And and yeah, I understand similarly to Greg that they've been inundated with uh, potential candidates and expressions of interest. So uh, yeah, Adam, what do you think? Yeah, it's quite interesting. I, I remember in the summer, there was a bit of interest. I don't, I'm not sure which direction it was coming from, certainly in regards to Nuno Espirito Santo as well, at one point. With Roberto Martinez, he's had interest repeatedly um, over the past year or so, particularly from Barcelona before it looked clear that they could get Xavi and also uh, with Newcastle over the past few weeks as well. He's clearly tied into Belgium for the World Cup next year and I think he feels a significant loyalty to the Belgium FA who have essentially let him shape that federation in terms of they've made him not only the head coach but also essentially like the technical director of the federation so I think he feels a significant loyalty there I don't think that means you know if the right opportunity comes up and the right thing could be agreed with Belgium then you know it's not something that he would consider clearly you know conversations would happen I think it's one I think it's a significant an interesting one I think you do a good job at Villa in terms of if you're looking at someone who can lift you you know, in terms of a style of football and also just higher up the table um, and obviously has experience working with high-level players now having worked at Belgium. So I think that's probably, you know, one to watch. It's not one I've heard is close or anything like that though at the moment. Just one final one, Greg. We've gone through some of the names. The, the final decision on who is appointed, is that a collective decision between owners, Perslow and the sporting director? Or does does one person take control of this? This is the first head coach search for Johan Langer, the sporting director. So my understanding is that he'll take a you know leading role in this now. Speaking to candidates, you know, carrying out the, the due diligence, the, the interview process, Christian Perslow will join him alongside that, of course. The interview process will be thorough and detailed. Um, and when it gets to the final stage, the owners will come in, Nassif Suiris and uh, Wes Edens. They'll be in discussions, of course, with, with, with Christian Perslow throughout. Um, but when it comes to that final round of interviews, you know, the, the, the final selection process, they'll get they'll get involved too. And it will be a four-way thing. So, yeah, the, the, there's four big personalities there and um, four big people plotting the way forward for Aston Villa. Good stuff, Greg. Thanks for coming on. Nice one. Cheers, chaps. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Before we talk about the other sacking in the Premier League this weekend, some rare good news on the podcast. And this good news story is West Ham and David Moyes. Roshane Thomas is our West Ham writer. Last week, uh, he wrote a brilliant piece to mark David Moyes' 1,000th game in charge. There were some really good stories and contributions from the likes of Wayne Rooney. Roshane joins us now, and you have a, a good club to cover at the moment. Yeah, for sure, but it, was, it hasn't always been like this. <laughs> when I first started covering uh, West Ham, I flair, club, a terrible, <laughs> rubbish football, in relegation fight, and obviously now things are so positive. Myself and James Pearce, we left the ground late last night. And fans were singing forever blowing bubbles, irons, irons. I'm thinking, how on earth do you guys still have the energy? I'm tired from that 90 minutes alone. But that's the point as well, isn't it? And David Moyes said it in his interviews post-match. You know, people aren't talking about that stadium anymore. People aren't talking about atmosphere and anger and apathy and, and so on and so forth. And if you're leaving the ground late and people are still singing forever blowing bubbles, that highlights his point. My biggest takeaway from David Moyes over the past, well, next month will be two years since he was reappointed, is that the players have the belief. They have the belief now they can go into these big games they're in. So over the past, what, seven weeks, West Ham have beaten Man City, Man United, Liverpool, Tottenham, Leicester. Like, things are really good right now. So the players have the belief they can beat both teams. But not only that, they have the belief that they can also finish in the top four. Last season, West Ham only missed out by two points in the top four. And I always say this, had Rice and Antonio not suffered injuries, West Ham would have done it. They would have done it. And since then, they've improved massively. Alfonso Riola has been brought in to provide competition to Fabianski. Kurt Zuma has been brought in. Bowen, Benrahma, for now, they're taking their game to another level. Like, things are so good right now. A long bit continue. But despite the players being brought in for competition, it's been the same starting 11 the last four Premier League games. So that's a real positive. But also, and I know this is meant to be the positive part of the podcast, but then there's also that slight, you know, if they lose someone or if they have to make a change, will that fluency that we've definitely seen in the last four Premier League games just dip slightly? Declan Rice and Antonio, you know, I'm touching wood right now. I'm, I'm praying every night, guys. I'm praying every night that they don't suffer any injuries because that's how, that's how important they are to West Ham. Declan Rice, such an engine in midfield alongside Thomas Solskjaer, of course. If the worst case scenario happens to Declan Rice, you have Mark Noble, you have Alex Kraub, you've got Lanzini. They're good players, but they're not Declan Rice. Not Declan Rice. Obviously, Antonio is also good. Boric can play up front, don't get me wrong, but you want someone like Antonio just to have that, that energy. So they're the two players that I think of uh, where I think, please don't get injured, to stay fit for the rest of the season. How much would it tear West Ham apart, Rosh, if one of the biggest clubs were to come in for Rice and take him in the summer? I reckon a lot of big clubs will be looking at West Ham next next summer, whether it's Fornals, whether it's Rice, yes. Bowen, of course, he's been linked to Liverpool. Our colleague James Pearce wrote a piece on that in the summer. Clubs will be looking at West Ham and obviously in pretty much young club will sing in Jared Bowen's praises, of course. 
So I think they're the three players that West Ham will be lucky to keep hold of next summer because one of the big clubs will come in for them for sure. But the most important one, of course, is to keep hold of Declan Rice or Declan Bauer, as the West Ham fans call him. Such a great player, of course. And I think one of the biggest factors that will perhaps persuade Rice to stay is if West Ham finishes the top four. He still has, I think, the best part of four years left of his contract. So ultimately, West Ham hold all the cards. But if he's seeing signs of West Ham becoming a top four club, then for sure that could play the side of factor and convincing right to say. It was amazing they didn't get a striker in the summer. And then they've only got Antonio, haven't they, up front? Do you think in January, you know, if they're on the verge of the top four or around it, do you think they'll go for it and they'll try and get someone in to make sure they're covered in that position? Or is this the squad for the rest of the season, do you think? The thing about David Moyes is he likes working with small squads and he's always been with the mindset that if someone comes in, if it's a striker, they have to be better than Antonio. And obviously if a striker does come in, you'll see probably Antonio play on the, uh, right, on the right flank or the left flank. But I personally believe they should sign a striker, in honesty, because Antonio's, what, 31 right now. I need to have someone that's sort of the long-term successor for him. West Ham had a head of recruitment now, Rob Newman, to appoint him for Man City. So he's definitely going to be playing a key role in potential uh, arrivals January. Obviously, we'll get into it, but there's uh, a Czech billionaire in town. He was at the game last night. Just quickly on those points you made about the small, tight squad, and I know you've both got really good contacts at West Ham. It seems that firstly, they've done brilliantly to keep so many of them fit, which suggests they've got a really good medical and backroom and fitness, strength and conditioning staff. Uh, They look in amazing shape uh, when you even just look at them visually. But has Moyes had the chance to build a club now in his mould, in the way that he did at Everton, but wasn't really given the chance perhaps to do so at Manchester United, Sunderland, Sociedad? Is what we're seeing now exactly what Moyes was renowned early in his career for doing. And if you speak to people in the game, many of them swear by him as one of the foremost coaches, despite what a battering his reputation took in the interim period. The big thing about David Moyes right now is the players have a lot of double double sessions. So they're knackered all the time, to be honest. A lot of double sessions going on. So Because when Moyes took over, right, West Ham, I think the bottom in the league in terms of like, like fitness, like running. And Moyes is like, listen, you have to run for me. If you want to get in this team, you have to run, run, run and keep running. And obviously we've seen that at Thomas Solskjaer, Declan Rice and others. And it's been great to see. But, but obviously I wrote a big piece on uh, Moyes ahead of his 1,000th game. And literally everyone I spoke to said, the one thing about David Moyes is that he's a great manager. I spoke to Fellaini and he said, if you give David Moyes time, he will build a club. He will build a club. He wasn't given enough time at Man United. Same thing, Rain Rooney and Samadise said, and we're seeing that right, right now at West Ham. He's building that team that we pretty much saw Everton all those years ago. He almost got that power at West Ham by default in terms of, because the ownership were under so much pressure um, at the time that I think it ended up giving him a lot of space in order to become so prominent around the club because the relationship between the ownership and different sections of the club and also with the fan base was so spoiled by the time that he returned to the club that it it just gave him this opportunity to really impose his personality and obviously just every result has then backed it up since then quite interesting sort of debate about whether you know was he given enough time at Man United and that kind of thing I'd still say like the team he has at West Ham is not a team that dominates games if that makes sense it's a team that counter-attacks I don't think it's a team with a style that you know you would comp- you would see from Man City or Chelsea or Liverpool, which is perfect for West Ham because it means they can punch above their weight. I think he's just at the right club for him at the moment. The summer transfer window when Zuma was signed, uh, that was a painful transfer involving agents and 
doubts about whether it would go through moments of potential collapse. And I think his salary demands broke the club's wage structure and it raised some eyebrows within the dressing room. It could have produced some significant tensions that can genuinely bring these squads down. And it's actually had the opposite effect. And you've got to credit, obviously, the boy himself and his teammates, but the manager and his and the staff. You know, I saw a colleague of us from another outlet saying that this is a guy who could still play for, absolutely for one of the biggest clubs in the world. Again, I'm not trying to uh, to sell him from West Ham. I, I hope he stays there for many years, Zuma. But another example of how, you know, they've been bold in the transfer market, going and getting a, a starting centre-half, as he was largely at Chelsea, from a London rival playing in the Champions League on big finances and it's paid off so far. I know we talk about the recruitment from sort of the money I have spent, but also when you look at the other people that ended up in West Ham's defence yesterday, Ben Johnson, Moyes is doing an unbelievable job, I think, in terms of giving him opportunities and developing him. And then someone like Craig Dawson, who looked pretty washed up at Watford two years ago and is then coming in midway through a game against Salah, Jota um, and Mane and being absolutely fantastic. So I think it is that ability to manage players, you know, from all different backgrounds whether that's the academy or big or big investments uh different parts of their career that's really shining through with Moise. cheers for shane thank you no i take care guys all the best this episode is brought to you by Michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive nba prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an nba game and more head over to michelobultra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The other sacking this weekend saw Norwich sack Daniel Farker. Michael Bailey covers the club for The Athletic. 
and joins us now one week after he last joins us. I can't entirely remember what I said uh, that week. So uh, hopefully I'm not going to about to contradict myself in lots of ways. But yeah, that does feel like a long time ago. I've got to be honest. I think I think you said Daniel Farker was yep. safe and uh, he'll probably be in the job for the next yeah. three three years. Uh, yeah, I think that, that sounds right. Yeah, no. I mean it does. Uh, yeah, it's pretty, yeah, just a remarkable remarkable series of events given the circumstances around the full time at uh, um, at Brentford. But as much the celebrations between the supporters and and Daniel and the coaching staff um, to then see what played out soon afterwards was was quite something. What happened then? Why why did it play out the way it did? Well, I think. From the moment Norwich lost at Chelsea, ultimately that sowed a seed. I think that look, this isn't this isn't this isn't enough. There isn't enough spark or belief or drive at the moment to just avoid what happened two years ago. Um, you know, they clearly club clearly feel their view is they've paid the money, they've brought in the talent. The team should be capable of much more. Um, so I think looking at it now. Sporting director Stuart Weber decided to to go public and talk about that uh, situation in a way to see if it would fire everyone up in terms of the coaching staff and and um, and how it was at, at the training ground ahead of the Leeds game, um, which they then lost. And I think from that point on, they probably knew that they would have to change. Then it becomes a really interesting debate, I suppose, over how they wanted to do that when they could when they felt the timing would be right. They didn't really want to sacrifice the Brentford game, which I guess is why they didn't make the change before that game. They also wanted to give Daniel Farker the chance to say goodbye to all the players properly at Colney, which they could only do come Saturday night. So I guess that's why they made it immediately after the game as well. Uh, Daniel Farker found out in the away dressing room. Stuart Weber was waiting for him there. There was no one else in the room. And uh, for, for, for two men who have had such a tight, trusting relationship, I can only imagine how hard that whole conversation must have been just a, just a remarkable given that you know Daniel Farker was doing his press just a just a few minutes earlier we talked when we did Aston Villa earlier about just just the, the genuine uh, sadness that is that has come with Dean Smith losing his job and i think you would say the same thing there not that maybe Norwich fans disagree with the decision but just a sadness that it has come to the end after all Daniel Farker has done. Yep, I, I entirely agree with that. I do think, and I guess this will be the same with Dean Smith as well, that, that you know, in a week or two's time and there on in, everyone will be so happy about what happened under Daniel Farker. And not many managers leave a football club, you know, in, in that sort of state, you know, even if they do well, like I'm thinking about Paul Lambert when he left Norwich, you know, that was for Villa, in fact, that was obviously hugely tumultuous and he'd, He'd, he'd earned two promotions and a, and a survival. So, yeah, I think even the Norwich fans who'd effectively been saying, look, Daniel's got to go, it then happened. And they're like, oh, oh no, we didn't actually think it was actually going to happen. Now we're really sad about it. Uh, not that it was the wrong decision, but just a man of huge integrity, honesty. And I think a lot of what he said in public really generated pride in the football club amongst the supporters. Um, the only shortcoming really was that I don't think tactically he could do it at the Premier League. Certainly, he ran out of time to prove it. Was it also starting to get under the club's skin, Michael, this notion that they're content being a yo-yo club? They benefit from the finances of the Premier League and the parachute payments. They come up and down. 
they don't really care. I know it was something that caused a lot of controversy when it was said on, on one media outlet a few months ago, the decisiveness with which they acted on this occasion. And when you do look back at his results, I think it's six wins in 49 matches across two Premier League campaigns. It would appear it was probably time to go if we're talking brutally and they desperately want to show everyone that they can stay in the Premier League. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, it's a minority of Norwich fans who feel that it wasn't the right decision. So I think that's worth saying. Certainly, given the money Norwich spent and the lessons they figured they had learnt since the Premier League campaign two years ago, there was huge expectation on Daniel this time and he was given a bumper four-year contract, which came with a significant reward because he was expected to prove that he was the high-class coach that could coach at this level. So when that started to not happen and then the criticism comes about the fact, well, you're just, sat, you're just happy to, sat, you know, to just stick with being here and then disappearing again. I think that did, A, that didn't sit very well. It, I think the club felt that that was also inaccurate and unfair and then yeah you do get in a position where you you probably do want to prove the point um we're obviously still in the situation where it's now about who comes in next and i think that will go a long way to determining how correct this decision was and where norwich's ambitions lie for the rest of this season because there's huge pressure now on getting this decision right because that daniel was embedded in the club and had done so much good work and has so much goodwill. And as I said, people feel sad about it, that if your next appointment isn't seen as an upgrade, then, you know, people will sort of start focusing some of their anger at what were a lot of poor Premier League results. That that anger will get focused in another direction. I think that's a really good analysis. And uh, of course, Stuart Webber, the sporting director, is out of contract in the summer. So be all eyes on him for this appointment, which you and I have reported today uh, is down to two candidates that are being described to us as experienced but modern forward-thinking managers. So you imagine they're towards the younger scale of things, but have managed elsewhere and presumably have some sort of proven track record so we're not talking like a Roy Hodgson or a Steve Bruce um, at the other end of their managerial careers who might come in and do a firefighting job and they look at the table and see Newcastle on I think the same number of points and loads of people saying or assuming they will stay up just because of their new takeover well Norwich spent 60 million pounds in the transfer market or there or thereabouts they brought in a load of players and they will fancy themselves to turn this around they've got to back themselves i guess what, what do you think adam michael you you probably well you definitely have seen a lot more of them than, than, than we have this season have they got the players to stay up that is a question i can't answer i do not know are they hmm. they i i'm not even sure the team at the moment is better than last season's if i'm honest because i think oliver skip was superb in the midfield role they knew their shape they looked incredibly cohesive and emmy buendia was was a, a, a real difference maker. Uh, even in the Premier League two years ago, he was still one of the best chance creators, regardless of how bad things were were elsewhere. Um, there were a few signs that maybe they can feed Temu Puki slightly, you know, at, at, again without him this year. But just because they spent a lot of money on a, you know several players who are young, you can't assume that they you know suddenly going to become better players really quickly or put more value on. So. And that seems to be some of the logic. So I think they've got a huge amount to prove. And what this, what Daniel's departure does is it, it strips back one of the excuses. You know, those players have got to show if, if Christos Jolis, we haven't seen much of him, but if he is this 
Greek starlet with with lots of talent, then we, we need to see him get some game time. Milot Rashitsa has got loads to to prove, as far as I'm concerned. And there were some some sort of positive signs on Saturday, but yeah, lots of them have got to step up. What happened to Todd Camwell? Uh, he played for Norwich under 23s against Forest under 23s on Friday night, and you go back two years, and there were all the rumours, you know, he'd be on his way to Liverpool for 30 million. 40 million there's been the odd personal issue he hasn't he's had uh, injury niggles but wouldn't probably class himself as unfit and I think in a way I, I, I there isn't really a position for him in the in the shape that Daniel was Daniel Farker was playing and I think they probably had a falling out as well to be honest so it was like can you get a full week's training in can you then prove your fitness he lost his you know place in the first team dressing room while he was training with the under 23s and as far as I'm aware when they all come back later this week uh, Todd will be back in the first team setup. David's mentioned these these two candidates then without actually naming anybody do you have names Michael? Well I would say is I've spent all weekend obviously speaking to a lot of people they are being incredibly tight with this uh, there are people who probably should know who these names are in the club who don't know who these names are so um this is all on Stuart Weber at the moment and uh let's hope he for the sake of this entire county he gets it right people have mentioned Frank Lampard and that could be two and two putting two two and two together and coming up with five do so without going into specific names do you think there could be another left field candidate with all due respect to Daniel Farker as in there is somebody at a under 23 level at a club in Europe that is going to be parachuted in here without wishing to have egg on my face I would be amazed if it was that sort of an appointment I, I, and to, for me it has to be someone right. who you look at their track record and go yeah okay there, there's there's a there's at least something to, to work with there in terms of senior football and, and tactical prowess at an elite level. It has to be because it has to be someone who is an upgrade on Daniel Farker. And if, you know, another Borussia Dortmund 2 manager rocks up, I think we might be in trouble. And you're outside the ground at the moment. So are you just there looking? I'm just hanging around to see if someone turns up. Um, I've got my laptop and uh, got my, I've got my Alan Partridge flask and I'm, I'm here for a week. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll, I'll see you boys next Monday. Look forward to it. <laughs> Talk to you from another uh, Norfolk car park next week on our regular feature. Can't wait. Thank you. Cheers, Jeffers. Cheers, guys. <laughs> uh, right, that's it. Thanks very much for listening. To read all the articles we've discussed today, head to theathletic.com slash football pod for a 33% discount off the price of an annual subscription. And I'm back on Thursday for the business of sport with Matt Slater. The Athletic.